are you doing? It is Sunday. I need a little more energy than that. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I am your moderator and host, Khalif Adams, of the Swan Me Podcast. We have a wonderful, wonderful panel for you today. This is the Building Bridges and Breaking Barriers panel for the Indie Megabooth crew. I'm going to run down the line and let everyone introduce themselves to the audience. I'm going to start off with you, Bruno. Let everybody know who you are. Um, hello, everyone. I'm, my name is Bruno. I'm from Brazil. I'm from a company called Behold Studios in Brasilia, and we've been making games for like 10 years or so. We've launched um, Knights of Pen and Paper, it was like our first like, game that kind of took off, and then we kickstarted the next game, Chroma Squad, and then we made the Galaxy of Pen and Paper, that's like a sci-fi spin-off of Knights of Pen and Paper. And now we're making com something completely different, that's like a multiplayer co-op game, and with online play, it's I don't know why we did that. <laughs> but, um, so I, I'm an artist, so I, I'm not having no trouble like programming things, so I'm okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's basically it. We're working on this new game and probably finishing by the end of the year. Hi, all. Uh, my name is Oleg. I'm from Moscow, Russia. And in 2014, we found a company named uh, Luden.io. We concentrated on educational games, which are available for everyone on Steam, Apple App Store, Sony, so those kinds of platforms. And we, we were extremely lucky to be invited by Indie Mega Boost to showcase our programming cats and puzzles game uh, called Wild True Learn. So this is why I'm here. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Next up. Hi, uh, my name is Jen, and I work with Pop Agenda. We're a team of three helping indies self-publish. Um, so yeah, we're like this strange service-based company that does all publishing services, but we don't take people's money at the end, which is pretty great. Um, we get paid upfront, whatever. Um, so it allows us to work with like multi, uh, you know, faceted devs, like in different financial situations and different realities. And uh, we've been around for a year and a half now, and we've launched. I looked up in our Google Drive recently. I think we have something like over. 31 different like clients that we worked with. Uh, it ranges from full A to Z production support, QA porting. We have partners for that, but we handle all that relationship um, to marketing, PR, social, uh, and all that jazz. Events, I'm actually filling up right now the shipping form for two booths. <laughs> um, I'm learning a lot, it's great. Um, and yeah, so it's some, some of the contracts are just piecemeal. Some people just need us for like a one beat for PR, and some others just want to marry us forever, which is great. <laughs> nice. Next up. Hi, I'm David. I'm with Brain and Brain. We're a husband and wife uh, development studio based in Northwest Arkansas here in the US. We've done uh, a few games. We did a game called Burly Men at Sea, and uh, we're working on a new game called Wooden Nickel, which is a frontier adventure in the Old West. All our games are uh, kind of story-driven games about curiosity, and that's what we do. We're up in uh, Indie Megabooth. Awesome. Uh, I'm Greg Rice. I'm the VP of Biz Dev at Double Fine Productions in San Francisco. Uh, so we're an indie studio that's been around for 19 years that uh, was recently bought by Microsoft. Hey. So <laughs> no longer an indie studio as much. Um, but I also run our um, publishing department. So things like uh, Day of the Devs and Double Fine Presents and uh, all that good stuff. Cool. Next up. 
Hi, I'm Kelly Wallach, and I am the founder and head of the Indie Mega Booth, so the area where all of the indie games are and a bunch of the folks here that are showing games. Woo! Thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm also the chairperson for the IGF, which is an awards um, show for indie developers. And uh, I've been doing this, it's coming up on nine years uh, that I've been working on this. So yeah, uh, this is a panel actually that I put together a couple years ago because I realized we invite folks from all over the world and from all different backgrounds and all different situations. And uh, I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if we just got all of them together and just had a kind of interesting conversation? Uh, and I actually learned a lot from it and got a lot out of the panel. And so we've been doing it for, I don't know, maybe coming up on like two years now at this point. So I'm, I'm, thank you everyone for joining us for another another version of it. <laughs> yeah. So the major and, and, and biggest part about this panel is being able to share stories about some of the things you've gotten over, some of the challenges you've been able to face and kind of tackle and, and win. Um, I'm curious to hear from the panel. Currently, we have so many games in the world. We have so many titles that are out in the world. When you're deciding about bringing your title to the world, what are some of the things you're thinking about in terms of how you want that to play, not only in the region that you're hoping to, that you may be coming from, but from ones that maybe you're not a part of? Uh, well, Anyone can jump in on that. Uh, <laughs> for us, like, it might be like a, a cheesy answer, but we just like make the games that we really believe in so that we can like put our heart in and stuff. So like this game that we are making now, it's like a, a couch fun co-op game that we made because we like to play a lot of these kind of games. And we always like feel like that should be more because like it's a really good interaction to, between friends and stuff. So for us, it's like, we yeah, we pay attention to the market and stuff. So we have always have to be careful with that. but. We mostly like believe in games that we that has something either, either to say or to or to prove or to like add something to the to the to the world like something like that. But yeah, in our case, it's it's more like let's just make the games that we want to basically. And I I realize it's a very like privileged position to be in because not many devs have like can choose to do that. So. Yeah, that's basically it. Cool. Oleg, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Uh, so, actually, it may be surprising for you, but in Russia, the most popular genres are simulations, strategies, <laughs> and other technical kind of games. So, uh, <laughs> maybe someone know any story-based game from Russia? Yeah? No, we, we, we never. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we have no of them. Uh, so that's why we truly believe that uh, games are quite interactive simulations, which is a tool for gaining experience in safe and fine environment. So, and we really believe that uh, the future of education is in gaining experience in those fun sandboxes, in those fun games, and then applying it in uh, real world. So this uh, approach is quite new for us. That's why we are just following uh, results of our uh, crazy launches, of crazy launches of our crazy games. Uh, so this is our strategy. We just uh, looking at what is happening after release a game and trying to adapt, make the game most meaningful and useful for players. I'm kind of curious. Uh, anybody else have any experience kind of going the opposite direction of saying you know you have a U.S. market game that you're trying to pitch out to? 
other other euros and other other not euros other other, <laughs> other geos is what the word i was looking other for non-USs. <laughs> other non-uses other non-uses uh i've kind of heard the, that, i feel like i've heard anecdotally the opposite like there's a bunch of uh, or some of the teams from um south africa like there's a development kind of crew i guess in cape town and they um like bro force is a good example where they're hmm. like we're basically making games that are parroting parroting U.S. culture and then like selling it to them, and I think there's a handful of like game studios outside of the U.S. that do that. Um, and it's somebody I brought up on another panel that I thought was really interesting is that you know like a lot of movies are made in like Hollywood or Bollywood or there's like these physical locations where like a lot of entertainment media is made out of, but games kind of aren't like that. Like there's definitely hubs, um, but you can make a game from anywhere in the world and sell it to people anywhere in the world, and that's kind of like a unique situation that games are in. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a really global market now, and it's hard to think about. I mean, you try to think about what might sell and what people are into, but uh, that's changing so quickly that I feel like we always just try to approach it as an uh, artistic medium and work on something new that we're excited about. So, I mean, we've been around for over 19 years now. We've really hit a lot of different genres and art styles. I think we're just always wanting to do something new and seek out new voices that are doing something exciting that we haven't seen before in the space. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. One one thing I wanted to add is that you know when you when you asked the question originally, um, I obviously you're at, at, you know, talking about other markets, but another thought I had was about just accessibility and people with you know uh, disabilities or different ways to control or even like color blindness. We make really colorful games and and we hadn't hadn't been on our radar at all, but it turns out that Berlin Minnesi actually does work for colorblind people, which is great. But now that I'm actually thinking about that, I think that's something we're going to be looking for. Uh, ahead to is, is making sure our games work for those kinds of communities too and not just you know your standard players so to speak yeah are, are you seeing and hearing more conversations I'm sure because that's come up a lot in you know all of the game spaces now of like making sure that folks are who are in all different kinds of areas are being taken care of and, and having people make sure that they're being taken care of uh, are you seeing that when you're uh, going through the process of even changing some of the dynamics in the games that you're currently even working on or stuff that you're looking forward to in the future? And also then I want to talk to the folks who are kind of putting out games and curating those games about is that something that you're looking to to bring into the fold in terms of the portfolios that you're already bringing into the space? I would say on our end, yeah, definitely. And it's a, it's a dynamic that's interesting to observe, even coming from the first party side of things. Mm -hmm. There is definitely more and more uh, advocacy and like inclusion on that set, in that direction, which is fantastic. Um, and a lot of the teams that we work with sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that they've initially considered. So it's really interesting to be a part of that sort of leading force to make sure that it's been a part of their process and maybe there can be some adjustments here and there and when you come in a little late sometimes it takes the form of a quality of life sort of patch but we try to really come in early and be like have you thought of this have you spoken to so and so like there's amazing people out there who are available to actually provide like personal input and like that is so important just not to make any assumptions on their actual reality so seek them out there um they're very present in the industry yeah. uh shout out specifically to able gamers in that direction so i think yeah. they're doing amazing work um and they are always open to a discussion um for game dev in particular yeah they're fantastic they're fantastic yeah i think there's a lot of um 
like there's a lot of times I think when people are, are working on a game, if you just mention to them like, oh, have you thought about accessibility or colorblindness or something, like 99% of the time people are like, oh no, I should put that in the game. Like in the sense of like everybody wants to, to do that and it's something that you might not think of right away. And I think the conversations around that are helping to change where people think of it a bit earlier. And when we see from a submission side, like we'll even have people call that out in their submissions is like, oh, you know, like it has a mode for this, it has this kind of accessibility option, it has a really diverse set of characters, like you can customize in this way. Um, and, you know, recently, like we've been working with Microsoft to get access to the adaptive controllers for developers to be able to have those on site. So if you go up to the mega booth now, there's a handful of games that have the controllers there that Microsoft has lent us. Um, for the event and they make it like very easy for it just like plugs and works, you know So there's yeah. like the you know, there are really amazing resources um, For these kinds of things because people want to make sure that there's more availability in games and more accessibility in games in general And like I think that's as that's getting highlighted It's getting easier for developers and easier for fans to like kind of bridge that gap, which is really cool. Yeah Are you seeing that besides the inclusivity aspect of it that there are other cultural pieces pieces to not only you know, making the games that you're making and thinking about those next projects as well, but also the cultural things that we're having conversations about in terms of you know, political aspirations or, or even um, talking about current events that are coming through the games that we're, that we're seeing. Are, are any of you kind of seeing those tentpole touchstone things come through uh, in the work that you're doing? Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think uh, when we're looking at Day of the Dead, we're always trying to find 90 games to highlight. And so there's a huge spectrum of different types of things out there. We really try to be uh, careful to make sure that we're looking for lots of different types of voices that are uh, being shown just because there are so many things happening in the industry these days and there's so many people making interesting new games and I think the biggest way to stand out is to really have a voice and know what you're saying and be saying something strong and new that you haven't seen before um, something that's going to make people listen uh, so uh, we're always trying to find new people we can shine a spotlight on yeah yeah, I'm excited in particular. Like, I think there's more and more games that focus on emotion and mm. less, uh, you know, the the shooty action. Which I, uh, some of them are really good. Like, <laughs> I like a good shooty action game once in a while. Um, but uh, not to preach for my own choir, but like Mutazione that we've been showing at the Indie Mega Booth, like tackles topics like trauma and like mourning and grief, and that is an amazing, uh, like just part of life that is getting explored and I just want to see more and more games doing that and I think we are seeing more and more games doing that so that's fantastic. Yeah, it feels like it's opening up the space a lot more and that, and that yeah. feels like we're getting a larger breadth and depth of the stuff that we're getting. I'm going to come back to you two at the end about curation about that but one of the things I wanted to talk to David about was you shared a really cool story about how you uh, traveled across the country and you were now you're in Arkansas? Yeah. And yeah. how you're kind of helping to build up the, the game development community there, or at least, you know, reach out to some of those folks there? Yeah, it's not a place you would expect to find a game dev community, really. And so we were happily surprised when we moved there, and there were some other independent developers and um, a lot of hobbyists or contract-based developers. So when we were doing Burly Men at Sea, um, just kind of out of necessity because we were self self funding self publishing at that point that we uh, we just like picked up and moved we were living in the San Francisco area it was very expensive uh, especially on an indie budget and so we we packed up our first plan was to work on farms part time um, which was awesome we did it once and it was a great month uh, <laughs> but it turns out that working part time means you're working on your game part time and it's going to take twice as long and since the whole point was like to save funding as long as possible we just decided to start. Um, 
doing kind of long-term Airbnb stays, chasing shows like this, like going to a PAX and staying in the area uh, before and after and and working really hard. And so we did that for 18 months. We traveled all over North America, made it to Montreal, and and then, but also spent time in smaller places, um, some smaller places like Kentucky and North Carolina. And everywhere we went, we were able to plug into the developer communities there. And they always surprised us with like how, how excited they were and how organized they were um, with all the life that was there. And um, so now in Arkansas, we're kind of doing the same thing. We're, we're organizers of a, a local game developer meetup and it's, it's growing, we get new members all the time. And it's really highlighted for us that wherever you are, you, know, you don't have to necessarily be in a San Francisco or a Seattle, which are great places to be for game development, but wherever you are, you can do it and you can find a couple of like-minded people. I mean, if we can find it in, in Arkansas, then I think you can find it pretty much anywhere. And, um, and you can encourage each other and build that up. So Burly Men Farming is dropping when? <laughs> burly Men on Land. That's a great sequel. Burly Men in the Dirt coming in 2017. Um, speaking about that, kind of like bridging those, uh, building those bridges towards the folks that are in that specific community, I'm curious to know about, from Oleg and Bruno, um, once you've made a game and put it out in the world, do you feel like folks have now come to you as kind of being those lighthouses that you're like hey we made a thing so in my communities and in my in in my home countries folks are looking to you to give them advice do you find that that's the thing that's happening too yeah uh, for us that happens a lot and we're like really happy for it and we try to like use the like the tiny bit of visibility we have in the world and uh, and contacts we made to like bring as many people as you can with us. So mm. we are always trying to like support uh, local communities and we make like every three or four months we make uh, a tiny like indie showcase in Brasilia and we are like helping people like everywhere we can. And we actually, we started when we like managed to like land a hit in the, in the markets, like we managed to rent a studio and then we thought, well, I think we can like share the space with other other studios. So we rented a house and shared this, the house with like three, two other studios, mm -hmm. and we called it like the indie house. <laughs> and we made some events there and stuff. And then we thought, well, maybe we can do a little bit more. And then we like got this uh, abandoned warehouse and made it into the indie warehouse. So it's a, like a co-working studio <laughs> with a lot of other studios there. When's the indie mansion happening? <laughs> Next is the indie city, so watch out for that. So yeah, but like in Brazil, uh, all the time, like we, when we go to events, some people don't even know like that we are Brazilian. Like, mm. oh, we, we made Chrome Squad. I didn't know like the, the, that was a game from Brazil. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's very good to like have this, this kind of like visibility because we think that we, it's a good opportunity to like to bring more people with us, yeah. and we believe like really strongly that we can we can only grow if the community around us is growing as well. So we try to like support people like every every way we can. Nice, Oleg. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, very good point, Bruno, about community. I totally agree. Uh, so actually, in Russia, we have uh, two big channels of distributing experience about publishing games uh, outside of Russian market. Uh, surprisingly, the first one is Game Jams. I don't know, very popular in Russia. And do you guys know game uh, Graveyard Keeper or Punch Club? Yeah, oh, yeah. you know that. Uh, so those guys started the game at uh, one of the online game jams. So the thing about Russian game jams that they are linked uh, and made in cooperation with uh, huge media 
uh, website about video games. It's like maybe a local IGN, something like this. Uh, and this local IGN is writing about uh, games from this gem at a very, very early stage, from the state of the first screenshot, first art, first idea. And this is how all developers are sharing experience of how they do from the very beginning. Uh, and another, uh, another way uh, to share experience is uh, one development conference, uh, which is uh, twice a year in Russia, uh, called DevGam. Uh, and at this conference, uh, guys bring a lot of uh, developers from the US and other countries to share their experience. This is, uh, those two channels are help community grow in Russia. Yeah. Nice. Jen, Greg, and Kelly. Yeah. So the process <laughs> I'm sure has changed a lot over the years in terms of both curating the games that you see that you are helping to kind of display and showcase, but also I'm sure the pitches that you get are, are pretty amazing on all over, <laughs> all over the place. Um, what have been some of the ways that you've been kind of gathering up those folks to be able to kind of come over and say, hey, this is the thing that we want to showcase and share. And also, are you kind of doing the work that Oleg was kind of talking about? Are you going to some of these game jams and scouting some of these folks out to see if they have the goods that you kind of want to share out with the rest of the world? Yeah, I, mean, I feel like uh, Kelly's process is probably way different than mine. <laughs> they probably have a process. <laughs> uh, it's very organized. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for data devs, yeah, it's mostly I pick all the games, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I have advisors and people that I ask for suggestions from. But ultimately, I just try to look at it holistically and have kind of a reason for why all the games are there. It's down to the point of like which ones are next to each other and oh, how okay. that experience is going to go. Um, and yeah, I am. I'm, I'm going to conventions like this and trying to get to other territories and going to things like BitSummit and uh, Resed in the UK and uh, see if we can find uh, the most interesting stuff that we can out there. Um, and it ultimately always just comes down to trying to find the best games I can uh, from people who have interesting voices and are doing new cool things with them. Uh, but yeah, I, I wish I had like a... Uh, really organized <laughs> format for doing this. It's a, a note in my phone where I write down cool games I see. <laughs> like, a whole, like a whole like dope next to this yeah. game. And there is, okay. there's an open submission thing. So we get like hundreds every every year and sure. submissions too. So it's part invites and part submissions and just trying to find cool games. Yeah, Kelly, I'm curious. Yeah, I was going to say, it's actually like not all that different. I mean, aside from the fact that it's just not a thing on my phone. Like we have a whole like submission system that people send um, their games into. But yeah, it's kind of a, a similar idea and a similar process, um, you know, where especially when I was first starting off in games, I was traveling constantly. I didn't live anywhere for like three and a half years or something. I was doing something kind of similar. Um, I had some other friends that were doing the same thing and I was going to every conference and traveling all over the world and making a lot of connections. Um, you know, and I don't do as, I still travel a lot, but not, not as much. I live somewhere now. Um, but, you know, we've made those connections and also we invite people from other communities as well too. And sometimes we'll like invite a team, like if we got a submission from someone that we didn't know in Arkansas, like we would probably invite them just because we would want them to be able to meet our community and meet other developers and um, be able to take that information back to grow their local communities. And so we do a ton of outreach in that way. And then the folks who work with us can go back and kind of advocate for like, hey, here's how we can help to build a community or here's some avenues or here's some ways into, um, into these different markets that we might not have thought of before. Um, and there's also a lot of structure and stuff that we do around um, 
like working with our partners and sponsors and introducing them to developers and helping them make the business connections that they need. You know, I think it's not that we're not looking for cool games, but like our purpose at the end of it is that we're coming to these large, you know, fan-based events. And most of the developers that we're working with like want to get their game out there. They want to be commercially successful and commercially viable. And so in some ways we're looking for games that will, will fit into that. Um, and we're also really tightly curating for the community of developers because that's really a key component and really important to me. So we're kind of looking at a lot of a lot of different factors, and it's you know a kind of long, manual, complicated process, and there's a lot of people involved in it. Um, you know, but at its core, it's just basically like going around finding cool stuff and you know showing off those things and helping people as much as we can in the process. Jen. I mean, for us, we were lucky slash unlucky that there's only three of us at the companies or our bandwidth is pretty limited. Um, but the way that we sign most projects is essentially through recommendations. So mm. a lot of people send us other people's games <laughs> directly. And um, it's always sort of interesting to work with that sort of whispers network or not or like connection network um because some of the devs that we get in touch with somehow they think that we would never pay attention or mm. like sign them because they're too small they don't have enough budget um turns out we're really cheap because we're paid in canadian dollars <laughs> 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 and so everyone's always surprised at how low cost we are um i mean it makes sense um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so events for sure always, uh, but we don't have an official process. We get a lot of pitches um, and we look at all of them mm. and we try to do our due diligence and being like, listen, this fits our editorial line, which is just what kind of games me, Nick and MC like to play. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and we just, we give feedback when we can uh, as much as possible, obviously, but it's a lot about uh, people's relations and their trusted circles, and then sometimes they send like, yeah, they just send random stuff too, but that's okay. Yeah, what's the process like for the newbie who's showing for the first time? Like, what are, what are the things that you're telling them when like, so I'm sure there are folks in the audience who are like, I have a game and I want it to be at a, at a, at a booth at one point. Um, it ranges from extremely uh, detailed like business plans mm. and, it depends on where, what the stages of the concept. We get napkin pitches, or we get like bar corner pitches too, which are great. They function, they work, you know, for that purpose. Um, we there's so many resources out there on how to build an actual pitch deck that shouldn't be longer. It's probably than eight slides, mm. and that should really be to the point of like what is the core message of your game? What are you trying to convey? What's it going to look like? How does it play? What is your timeline? What platforms are you looking for? Um, yeah, um, it, building decks is a complete, uh, you know, skill set that people need to acquire. I think, generally speaking, um, it's really crucial to getting cur in, into a process of curation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. have not learned that skill yet. It's okay. <laughs> it is really difficult. Learn how to make a deck. It really helps. Um, from the dev side, I'm curious, if you were to tell a new dev who was just starting out or kind of coming to the table for the first time with their, their pitch to folks, what would you tell them in terms of getting themselves ready to be kind of out in the open and kind of expose themselves and their product to, to folks in that way? Oh, man. Uh, get ready for rejection. Mm. 
because it's not necessarily your game. It might be the wrong audience or mm. the way you've presented it or the lack of numbers or mm. the lack of, uh, you know, line of sight in your project or maybe mm. it's unrealistic. And like, ideally, you will pitch it to someone who will be kind enough to get, give you feedback on what went wrong. Um, there are some amazing publishers out there who do that. Um, I like to consider ourselves as part of that, but it's time consuming, obviously, when you get a lot of pitches. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just be prepared to be rejected and it's okay. It might not be the right fit or the right time or the right partner. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like Dave. a lot like dating. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh no, I've been out of game for so long, I don't even know what that sounds like. <laughs> Well, and on top of that, I would say, like, when you're rejected, iterate, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. use that as an opportunity to ask the questions, like, well, what, what, even, even ask yourself questions, what was it that was missing, how can I improve on this pitch, and keep doing that and see if the results change. That's one thing we've learned as, as we've been pitching to publishers, I'm constantly changing the pitch deck because I'm not quite there yet either. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it's getting better, you know, every single time. And, um, and also know what you're building, and that takes uh, building a piece of it generally. And, and so sometimes game design comes together later than you thought it would. And so in the process of building Wood and Nickel, um, it's changed significantly from our first pitch document. We wouldn't, and and we're, we would be pitching a very different game now than that first document would indicate. And so by building it, we're actually making the pitch better as well. Yeah. Are you finding that you're, um, especially in the dev side of it, you know, a lot of folks are really excited about their projects and they want to make sure that they, they come out well. And I'm sure that the, the camaraderie that you find within the game development community is one in which, you know, you're bouncing things off each other often and saying, you know, how does this look? Does it seem like, this doing, like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, you know, besides the bugs and QA part of it? What are uh, other devs, if they've given you any advice that you'd like to share that kind of helped you get across to the next part of your project or get you over the finish line? Anybody can take that one. Um, I guess I, uh, I'd say like um, finishing the game, like it's the it's the most important thing, I, th I guess. Like just finishing the project and moving on to the next one. It's, it's, sometimes it's the most important advice you, you can get so did you have a specific thing that you did to kind of I mean besides the actual work right yeah. it's like what was the thing that helped you kind of reach that last stage to kind of get past the last barrier that you were on uh, just being like really a little bit dumb I think and just like <laughs> just like being uh, just you know believing in yourself even when you don't feel like I guess mm. so just like Maybe uh, making a game is, I, I still don't know how games get made, like it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> because we're making something and we have no idea like if it's like doing what we want to. And sometimes the game itself becomes something completely different than we wanted to like in the beginning. So um, just like believe in the game, like uh, get feedback from people. Um, and just even if you don't feel like it's like a good project or, or something, uh, just get feedback, get feedback from the other devs, and people like other devs. They like to support each other, so they give you the the strength you you need when you don't have any or something. A lot of the people we work with uh, never get over the it, it, it's okay to be dumb part, and it's okay. Like they are yeah. terrorized mm. at the idea of shipping their game from day zero to day 
a hundred plus one. Hmm. Um, it never goes away. And like a lot of what we do is supporting them throughout that journey. But there is so much constant questioning around, am I doing this right? Yeah. It doesn't feel right. And even when they're successful, it doesn't go away, which is, again, back to the magic of making a game. Like, how does it happen? No one knows, but it <laughs> happens. And now it's out, it's successful, and I still feel like I did something weird with my talent. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And that's the great thing about like this kind of events, because we come here and we can show uh, the game to new people. And we kind of remember why we were making the game. Like, yeah. like back home, we were, we were constantly making the game and fixing bugs, and just like frustrated with how the game's going because we we know how how many things we have had to cut from the game, but the player uh, doesn't doesn't know that. So uh, we come here and see people like playing the game and having fun and coming back to play more. And we realize, oh yeah, that's that's why we're we're making yeah. this. Yeah, that's why we're going through this this thing that's game dev. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, don't, not even once. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean to kind of echo that a little bit. You know, I think uh, a large reason why people come to events and and are part of things like the Mega Booth is because of the community that they get out of it and like. That you know the developer communities. The reason a lot of those sprung up is because people are like working at home. They're in their head all their time. They're like not really getting out. They're really unsure of what they're doing. They're investing a lot of themselves into it. And if you are in your head all of the time and you're alone and you're isolated, you're gonna make yourself crazy. Um, and so when I started off in the Boston community, and it was founded by someone who was basically doing that, working at home and feeling like they were going crazy, and would just invite their friends over to be like, I need social interaction, <laughs> like I need to talk to another person about this. And that's why communities like this spring up in the first place. Um, you know, and then there's the second component of like you were saying is kind of being inspired by having people play the game and reminding you of like, oh yeah, this is like, I am creating something that is bringing other people joy. And you go for so, so many periods, like such a long period of time in between seeing that joy on people's faces and having that kind of interaction. And like, it really rejuvenates people to keep going and to like keep making the game and to finish it and, and all of the play testing. Um, it's, you know, I still kind of don't understand how games are made either because they, they're so, it just it takes so much, it's so much work, you know, like I was talking with this when we were talking about the panel thing, we're like, um, you know, if I want to draw something on a computer, it takes me like hours, but if I just had a pencil and a piece of paper, like that's like a 10 second thing. But like games are super manual and they take a really, really long time to make and there's a lot of components to it and they're very complicated. Um, and yeah, for me, I'm just like, I can't believe that somebody spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours, you know, like making this thing that is beautiful and amazing, but it's like, that's a lot of yourself to like pour into something and especially to do it without having any kind of like emotional support around that is just like, that would be impossible. Yeah, I think these kind of events are are ultimately really great for development. It's like, before you're here, it's a great line in the sand of, I need to show the game to a bunch of people, yeah. so I have to have it in a state where it's going to be okay, and they're not going to see all the issues that it has. Uh, and then you totally refocus and find the things that are important that you need to uh, work on after watching people play it all day, every day. And ultimately, you're also just meeting your super fans and the people who you know actually care about these games and are excited to play it and excited to see it. And you get to see you know the ultimate fans' uh, idea about what the game should be. Uh, so it's, it's super valuable and it's nice to have that kind of one-on-one -on -one connection with people. I'm kind of curious about that, actually, to piggyback off that, because one of the things that I think a lot of folks don't necessarily do, or at least from what I've heard from folks in the dev side, is that 
sometimes the you know a lot of folks kind of uh, dwell on the kind of negative aspects of development cycles and trying to figure that stuff out. Are you all sharing your wins too? Are you doing that work where you're kind of talking to each other about like, hey, we found this thing that was really great and you did this really good thing and, and sharing that across uh, the folks in your own communities? I hope so. <laughs> I feel like more so. I think maybe that's growing. Um, I'm part of a Slack group where we, we have like a works channel and everyone's just like saying, hey, here's a screenshot and then of what I'm working on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's only for here. We're not sharing this publicly. But then mm -hmm. the, the pylon of comments of like encouragement is awesome and even just the little emojis and everything. But, you know, people are really, people love to see that kind of stuff and, and encourage you about it. I feel like... Um, one of the awesome things about being an indie dev, or maybe just it's true for all game developers, is it doesn't feel like we're competing with each other at all. Mm. You know, we're we're a, we're like a team distributed around the world, all rooting for each other, yeah. and that's one of the best parts of being part of this community because everyone's got my back and wants me to succeed, and I want everyone else to succeed, and that's a wonderful thing. And then you can be like, oh, I'm releasing this week, and you're not release this week, and you're like, <laughs> well, what about this day? And then everyone just dances around the topic. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of great. I mean, it happens in the podcasting space too. You're like, yeah. I got a great guest. I'm not telling you who it is though. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, you had a really cool project that you're working on. Something that you, you talked about before we kind of jumped into uh, the panel today. And we talked a little bit before uh, yesterday about you're working in this space around working with games and folks on the autism spectrum and kind of bringing, and bringing um, games to that section of the community. I'm curious to hear more about that part of the project and, and what you've been working on. Yeah, cool. So actually, in in the end of the last year, in 2018, we uh, begin to receive more and more requests from teachers who use our previous games about, hey, you know, we'd love to use the game at our autism, with our autism kids, but you need to fix this, that, that. And we decided to build uh, a small game to try to help those kids to build communication and teamwork skills. And what, the what is the biggest challenge with kids with autism is uh, something like reading in between the lines in social interactions, which uh, we be full of it. So dating, uh, selling something, it, it's full of uh, things that they are not pronouncing, but meaning, and you have to read somehow. Uh, and interesting thing that uh, for us, uh, like guys from outside of the US, uh, the US community of players is full of those uh, untransparent things as well. Uh, as uh, for kids with autism, for example, um, the very basic thing, it's, it's maybe surprisingly basic for you and you never thought about it, but uh, uh, you guys, uh, in the, uh, players in the US are very uh, easy to say amazing, awesome, very good game and something like this. Uh, so uh, as a guy from the Russia, uh, I'm expecting that if some uh, if some teacher saying us that oh your game is amazing we can't wait to use it in the classroom we think that tomorrow he will be really start using this in the classroom because he <laughs> said that is amazing why not but actually uh, we understood later that uh, it means that that we should start to talking with this teacher to understand what we need to fix to start discussing how maybe in future possibly <laughs> it will be used in, in some classroom. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, this problem is very similar to problems uh, of people with autism, and um, 
as video games helps uh, kids with autism uh, solve this problem maybe sometimes in you know, maybe in future video games will help uh, break cultural barriers as well uh, by just uh, making interaction interactive sandbox when you can use different strategies to understand where those between the lines social interaction things and how they works so this is the idea of our project do you feel like the work that you're doing currently now would translate well to not only just the autistic uh, community in Russia, but here in the U.S. in the same way? Do you feel like there's cultural boundaries there that, that don't necessarily connect? Um, we feel like it will be possible to, to use it here as well, but really uh, what, uh, it's like we as developers showcasing our game here at PAX, thanks for amazing guide from Indie Mega Booth and amazing <laughs> volunteers it's, it's really amazing for us we're just solving our number one problem so thank you guys very much uh, and I hope someday some will, someone will make the same developer relation things for educational market in the US because it will be really game changer because now the educational market of the US is a extremely untransparent for us and we have no idea how it works it's, it's uh, we have uh, just free schools in the US who use our game now uh, about autism I think uh, I mean uh, and it was extremely long process to just start talking with them yeah I don't want to I won't go too far into it but I can actually help give you some insight in it but I'll just give a short snippet because I think it's kind of interesting is that you know there are a lot of indie developers I think who make games that are are educational and the way the, the US um, educational system works is for things to be considered an educational game. Um, there's like all this kind of really weird, bizarre stuff that's like, I guess, sort of regulated and things around grant programs where it's being run by somebody, some senator somewhere who's probably not touched a computer, you know, <laughs> his entire life. Um, and so a lot of the educational games have to go through like this really crazy, rigorous process to like prove that they're educational. And most of them, they just kind of give up and they're like, oh, you solve math problems. And then you shoot things out of the sky with the math problems and like that's educational. So they kind of have this like idea of what an educational game is where like I had a friend who gave an amazing talk once called like educational games suck, but they don't have to. Um, and his point is that like you learn a lot of really intricate systems through games. So like Assassin's Creed, for example, there is one that took place in historical Boston and you learn like the whole map of historical Boston and all this great stuff. And then you use that information to like kill people. So if you just didn't do that last thing, like you would have an educational game, you know, and yeah. most games like that, are, most games are educational in a way, but the way that the school systems and the government and stuff in the US right now, there's a giant disconnect between like, of what is actually educational of a game and their understanding of video games and like how that stuff gets funded. And it's just kind of like, uh, I would say a little bit of a mess at this point. So I think, mm. you know, like when I was a kid, the educational games we played were like word munchers where you were like a monster who ate words, which somehow is supposed to help you learn words. And then, yeah, and like things like where you're the, like Math Blaster and like, yeah, Mavis Beacon teaches typing, which is just like a school marm who, you know, I don't she know, hovers over person. you. Yeah. yeah, like hovers over you while you type, which is not Mavis how children want to nice. learn anything. <laughs> Mavis was mean. Yeah. <laughs> Mavis had a ruler and she smacked people's hands, basically. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, you, feel like, do you feel like the, the, the space is getting better in that way? We you feel like the the not only in the indie community but kind of the gaming community at, at large is kind of pushing through some of those 
old school thinkings of you know this is what a specific kind of game is and should be and always has been yeah i mean i think you know just to to keep it on the educational side just like a tiny bit is that you know i think even though uh, developers aren't getting you know grant programs or whatever for like educational stuff they're just making the games anyway that are educational and just teaching people things regardless of whether they want to know that it's an educational game or not um you know and i do think that there's a lot of games now that are thinking about like uh, you know, how do you interact with the world? How do we how do we create empathy? How do we create understanding? How do we create like peace and joy and happiness for people inside of games? And uh, to go back a little bit on the earlier thing, you know, like there's this idea that like when politics are awful, art is great. Mm. Um, you know, so if you think about the punk movement in the 80s, like when everything's kind of shitty, like the art starts to get really great. But games take a long time to make, and so I think that like we're just starting to see a lot of that now. Like there's going to be really good games. Soon. I know, in like 10 years, they're going to be yeah, fucking amazing. Real. But like you know, I mean, I'm starting to even see that right now. Like we have so many games in the mega booth and things that were submitted um, that are like interacting with the world in a constructive way instead of a destructive way. You know, like I've been joking about this for a long time is like the way that I solve problems in my real life versus the way that I solve problems in video games In video games, you just shoot everything. And like the number Mm. of times I've solved a problem in my real life by doing that is zero times, (laughs) but you're doing it constantly in video games. And so like, it's nice that people are kind of getting away from that. Like, how do we actually like interact and move and shape the world in these like constructive ways that are creative and restorative instead of like destructive and I don't know, like old, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. It feel, I mean, it feels like that's the, the, the wave right now. Is like everyone is kind of thinking about countering all those ways that we've kind of thought about games and yeah. exactly how you interact with the yeah. player and with the world around yeah. you. Yeah, and the idea of like cozy games, which is like, yeah, like I want to relax when I'm, I don't know, trying to have fun or I have time off or something. I don't want to have this like time pressure and destruction and shooting things and explosions. Like it's stressful. Yeah, I'm loving <laughs> I want fa- relaxing. Seriously, I'm loving the fact that full motion video stuff has kind of popped back up in a real yeah. way. Like that's been, that's been my jam for like the past couple of months. Yeah. Um, a little bit of a, a side topic. What are you all playing, if anything? Are you playing anything that you're feeling like you're is speaking to you in any real way? I'm playing a lot of this unreleased game that I can't talk about, but it's great. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's throwing me back into like the match three zone, which I'm like, I'm not a fan of, but it's so smart. Anyway, can't talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) If anything, Greg and I started playing Pokemon Go really aggressively uh, last month, and we just go on really long walks. (laughs) I guess, I guess, like. I guess I just don't have time to play anything other than on my phone. Oh, Knights and Bikes. Thanks yeah, for the motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bikes. Nights I and agree. Bikes. Nights and Bikes good answer. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of stuff. I'm always playing a lot of stuff. But uh, especially right now, it just seems like there's things coming out so yeah. quickly. There's like yeah. multiple games every week uh, that you need to jump on. Um, and right before this came out, there's like, right before we came here, like three games came out I want to play yeah. between Telling Lies and uh, Control, and um, the new, well, yeah, Nights and Bikes, of course. <laughs> a Man of Meaden, too. There's just so many cool things. And then, yeah, we just released Nights and Bikes, released Rad, playing tons of that, too. It's good stuff. Are you making smaller things, knowing that all, the, like, are you in between the kind of bigger projects that you're working on? Are you making kind of smaller mm. prototype things or kind of, like, in-between games that kind of, like, fill spaces that you're thinking about things? I mean, well, Psychonauts is a huge game, so we've been working on that for a long time. It's going to be big. Uh, but we, like, I mean, we have games of all sizes, so we put out Kids a few months ago, which is, like, 10 minutes long. Uh, kids are super dope. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, Samurai Gun, I could play forever. I have been playing Samurai Gun for like eight years or however long it's been out. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited for the second one. I mean, uh, I think we're just trying to find things that are um, uh, a wide spectrum of different types of games. But it's true. I mean, there's so much stuff coming out that I like playing games that are like a couple hours long so I can jump to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. Did you get a chance? I know everybody has been at PAX for 7,000 days. <laughs> um, and uh, we're all luckily still alive here. Um, have you had a chance to see anything on the floor or anything kind of passing through, you know, that kind of caught your eye that you thought was kind of cool? Um, I only have one purpose this PAX, if I can get away from the Indie Mega Booth for two seconds. Well, my own projects, because the game is actually in the Indie Mega Booth. I really want to play Frog Detective because yeah. Oh, yeah. she is so funny yeah. and I'm a big fan of her tweets <laughs> she's just hilarious anyway game look I don't know what the game looks like oh yeah but it's, it looks it's adorable yeah. it's totally adorable I'm excited really yeah Bruno uh, Ola, the thing that good? spoke to me the most is uh, I saw a game at an idea at Xbox event uh, from I think a developer in China called Exhausted Man <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he's just in bed and rolling around and crawling on the ground and in a surreal dreamscape of cell phones and beds and things. It's like a 3D render of my feet. And it's like a physics yeah. game. You're just rolling all over the ground. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oleg Bruno? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, there's a game like right next to our booth called uh, Backbone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's like a de- yeah. detective noir game. And uh, I haven't actually played it yet. Raccoon, been like raccoon Detective Noir, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I just like, I spend the, the entire day just like yeah. looking at it. And, <laughs> and I forget about my game. Ignoring but. all your players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't talk to me. But I still haven't managed to play it somehow, so I'm waiting for the chance. My favorite one is uh, from Minibooth. It's Wintermoor uh, Tactics Club. Uh, the oh, game yeah. is really amazing. It's about uh, school and adventure at classes. So just feels like really Harry Potter, uh, and it's I don't know. It's just really amazing thing. Oh, add to wish list. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a game my, in my f- first time free marketing in my life. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I saw a mini booth game today as well where it's like an old time, I don't remember the name, unfortunately. So go look for the old timey radio that's out there. Oh, the Klaxo yeah. radio. Yes, that's yeah. it. Yeah. And it, they have an actual like vintage radio you play on. You can play on, you know, you can download it for your computer or phone too. But I thought that was just really, I love when games take something from the game world and bring it into the physical world. Mm. I think that's really, really great. So that one caught my eye. Have you checked out Playdate yet? Upstairs. Mm, yeah, it's super cool. That's right across from us. I was playing it earlier. Uh, it feels so nice. It's so it's so, such a pretty little device. So I like was really totally small... bummed out that the crank didn't power it. <laughs> I really, really thought that the crank was going to power it, which makes Any, me feel anybody like want to explain what Playdate is for the folks who don't know? Um, yeah, it's like I I don't know. I want to say it's like a Game Boy, but it's not. It's just like this little kind of like square, like handheld game console, I guess, that you can just play a little like. Uh, are they just like black and white? Like, yeah, I think they're releasing yeah. a new game every week or something wow. like that. Yeah. Uh, it's from the guys at Panic, um, and it's yeah, such a super nice, well-made yeah. hardware. You know. Yeah, and, and there's only crank. yeah, there's only yeah. one <laughs> control. It's a crank. Yeah, which is so good. And it's yellow. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're running out of time. We have a couple of minutes left, but and I want to give the folks here on the panel because what we want to do is leave you with something that you can hold on to and put in your heart and take it with you on your <laughs> on your travels some good words uh, I'm curious to know and I'm going to go down the line if there was a a, a moment of 
uh, good vibes that you had about a thing that you had seen or some um, something you had consumed in terms of media art games that you wanted to share with the folks in the audience. Share what that is uh, and tell the folks what it might be. And then after that, we'll go back down the other way so you can plug all your wonderful stuff. So we're going to start from, and then we have a raffle too, so that's going to happen in a little bit. So we're going to start from Bruno's side and then work our way down and work back. Oh, uh, that's a hard one. But I, I guess um, the last, the last game I, I've, I've actually finished the, this week is uh, Celeste, hmm. and it's, uh, it's an amazing game. Like it's, it's one of those games that actually makes you want to be a better person somehow. Like, and that that kind of game is like re really, really rare, I think. And it's got a really great message about uh, mental health and stuff. And the game itself, it's the, the gameplay. It's amazing because it's yeah, it's the guy the guy who made Towerfall. So, and yeah, the, it, it's like uh, just play it and have fun and cry a little bit, and you end up in the end you you end up being a, a better person for it. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Um, uh it's really hard one. I think actually the most inspiring games for us uh, is the games which developed as a problem-solving games. So, uh, and I think it's a very good thing to think about video games like uh, a tool or a program or software I don't know uh, which is dedicated to solve uh, some particular problem. Uh, for example, to help uh, kids at the classroom keep attention high the whole lesson long because the game is fun. Uh, and I think it's a good, good uh, thing to find in all games. For me, it's not necessarily about uh, a, a game or a specific uh, thing I've played recently, uh, but the community, like in the indie space especially, I think is such a magical place that even when you feel completely overwhelmed with your game dev process, like people are there to support you and give you feedback. and. Uh, we've had a weird, really difficult week uh, across the industry, and the support I've seen, especially in the indie mega booth, just people uh, holding each other to like together and being there for one another, and like mental health awareness. Is, it is just the most incredible space to be in, um, and yeah, I'm very thankful for that, and it's beautiful. Um, when I sat down here, there was a notepad in front of me, and all it said was challenge yourself. So I guess that's the message for the day. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so I don't know who wrote that, but they're, they're wise. Um, a, a fun or a useful tool um, that I came across, or Brooke and I came across, um, is called Game Dev Map. It's just gamedevmap.com. And you can go there and see a map of the whole world with all these red dots that represent places in the world that have game studios. And so it's just really encouraging to see, like, it's just the entire globe. Um, and it's a fun resource if, you know, like I was talking about before, if you're not in one of these kind of hub cities, like in Austin or San Francisco or something, um, there might be devs down the road that you don't, you're not aware of. So check out gamedevmap.com, see what's in your area or maybe within a couple hours drive, and there might be a community around to get involved in. 
Uh, I guess a real tool of inspiration for me recently has been uh, Media Molecules Dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been doing a lot of dream surfing on that game, and it's amazing what people have been making. And it's only been available publicly for a few months. And uh, the tools are just incredible, seeing what people are making in there that have never even experienced using any sort of professional tools for creating uh, game development. Is, it's just been uh, remarkable. And the stuff they have in there for sharing it and for collaborating with other people and finding and supporting other artists is really really remarkable so i can't wait to see how that thing grows in a year from now the stuff that people are making inside dreams yeah kelly uh yeah i'd like to mirror a little bit of the the community part of it you know every time i guess for us like we kind of go through things i guess a little similar to a game developer where we're kind of heads down and we're working in our own house and you know it's it's hard and like i said we've been doing this for nine years and you know every time that we come to a show like this like we get re-inspired to continue to do the work that we do and like the Indie games community is amazing in so many ways and a really important part of my my life, you know, just at this point. Um, so I definitely wanted to echo that. And then um, the other kind of thing, I guess I'm just going to step out game outside of games a little bit is like I've been obsessed with um, Lizzo, who is like an artist who is just fucking amazing and like. Oh my god, I needed that so bad in my life, and I think a lot of people do, right? Like a lot of her stuff came out a couple of years ago, and she's like, my shit's blowing up like two years later, and like mm -hmm. I think it's a, I'm hoping it's a little bit of a kind of like, I don't know, joyful zeitgeist or something, and just I've watched, I'm like obsessed with watching her live performances and interviews, and she's just so infectious and in how positive she is, and it's just like it's giving me a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration, so I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna let you all plug your stuff. If you have questions for the folks up here, get in line now, and there's a microphone in the middle of the aisle, so you wanna do that now. And we're gonna go back from Kelly back down this way, pitch your stuff, and let everybody know where they can find you. Oh, um, I'm not actually on social media all that much, but I'm Kelly Wallach on pretty much everything because I'm not great at coming up with cool names, which is why it's called the Indie Mega Booth because it is a <laughs> mega booth of things. <laughs> um, we are also Indie Mega Booth on everything. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we have a really awesome newsletter. Actually, if you go to the Mega Booth area and you sign up for it, um, you can win a free game. Uh, we have a way that you can get a discount on our pennies. Um, and basically we just send you a thing once a month that's like, hey, here's all the cool games that you saw at the shows. This one's launching here, this one's here, this one's on sale. Um, so we don't spam you and it's great, so you should sign up for that. Um, yeah, and come and check us out on the floor and say hi. Cool, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd follow Double Fine at Double Fine uh, on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way. Uh, and specifically, yeah, right now we are, we just opened submissions for Day of the Devs in San Francisco in November. Um, so we're looking for a ton of games for that. Uh, it's always a good time. It's a good mix of people and, uh, and cool games. So if you got something, please submit that there. Uh, we'll be open for like three, four more weeks, end of the month. Yeah, whenever. Uh, <laughs> whenever you whenever I find enough game. About process before. <laughs> we talked about process last time. Uh, we need a date? I don't know. Uh, yeah, we try to announce the games in early October, uh, for sure. Should we get... Cool. David? Um, we have the absolute worst Twitter handle. It's brain underscore and underscore brain. Uh, but on Instagram, we're the much easier brain and brain. Um, so you can follow us there. Uh, we're showing Wooden Nickel at the back right corner of Indie Mega Booth. Look for the big banner and uh, wood burned sign. Um, and you can check that out and follow us. Cool. Jen? Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We retweet a lot of our dev stuff, so maybe don't follow us there. I guess we got to work on that. That's not super great. Um, at popagenda.co, um, and the website is popagenda.co because we couldn't afford the .co. Because <laughs> oh. we have no money. <laughs> I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you on that. Spawn on .me, yeah, it's not, that yeah. wasn't the move. 
But no, I'm, I'm a lot on I'm on Twitter a lot, um, so you can reach me at Gangster, which is my Wow account username <laughs> from 12 years ago. <laughs> I was young. Hey. Oleg, you're up. Uh, so you can say hi at Twitter. It's Games Code Dogs. This is strange Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I was young, sorry. <laughs> Bruno. Um, yeah, you can find us at Behold Studios on Twitter and everything else. Uh, you can join our Discord as well. We're just actually beginning pre-production on our next game that should be like a spiritual successor to Chroma Squad. So, and we kind of share some stuff in the Discord so you can go there and watch the behind the scenes and stuff. Thank you, everyone. We have a wonderful raffle that's coming up, so don't leave anywhere. Don't go anywhere just yet. But give our wonderful panelists a round of applause, please. You're all amazing. Thank you for hanging out. The Spawn on Me podcast can be found every Tuesday on all podcast platforms and Portland Radio at xray.fm at 107.1 slash 91.1. You can find us live every Thursday on twitch.tv slash Spawn on Me. If you want to reach out to us on the show, you can hit us up on our site, spawnonme.com, where you can find all our social media information about our Twitter, Instagram, and everything else alongside our contact page if you want to reach out and shoot us a message or a business inquiry. Much love to you all. Thank you so much for listening every week. And we say... Peace.